You know, Paul gets up here and says, you're in for a treat tonight. I thought that's, yeah, because the regular preacher's here. That's not what he said. He said the kids are going to get up here and do a memory verses, and that, I said, okay, all right, okay. But I do have a treat in, for you, uh, a tr in store for you, and that is the lesson is going to be short tonight. It's going to be very, very brief and yet very important as we set up for future weeks about the Ten Commandments. But uh, I, I forgot something this morning, uh, and that is Jesus loves me. I can't believe I'd forgotten that, and somebody mentioned it, and I thought I've got to rectify that. So if you would, even without our kids here, it's still a song and a truth for us, so we're going to sing it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. So what does God want from you this week, and what is he wanting from us as the church, period? And you're going to say, well, how can you answer that question in the book of Exodus? And that's a good question, because that is the Old Covenant, right? And yet there's something very important about connecting with our ancestors spiritually back there, and that's what we're going to be doing. So in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, some time stamps are given that we need to notice and some place settings that we need to notice. Verse 1 of Exodus 19, On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Finally, finally they get to this place where Moses was at the burning bush. Now that may not sound like a big deal to us uh, at this point, but that's only because we've forgotten something. Back in chapter 3, verse 12, God makes this statement to Moses. He said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. So here's your sign. Here's your sign. He says, this is what it is. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You shall worship God on this mountain. And now in Exodus chapter 19, the people are there and they're about to serve God. This is what Moses has been looking for. Now this is weird because most of the time when you ask for a sign, you want it to be something like uh, what the dew on the, uh, on, on the fleece thing. I want to see it right now to guarantee that you're with me so that I'll know in the future you're with me. But in this case, he says, you're going to know that I sent you when you're back here on this mountain again with all the people of Israel. You think about when Moses was made this promise in chapter 3. Moses was a lone shepherd out in the wilderness, off away from all the people that he had known. And, and God says, when you're back here with two million of my people having gotten out of Egyptian slavery and you're around this mountain serving me, you'll know then I sent you. And surely there's no doubt in Moses' mind who's accomplished all the stuff he's seen in the previous few weeks. There can be no doubt. It's a clear sign, and here they are at Sinai, the exact spot where God says, I'm going to bring you there, and when you're there, you'll know it was me. Here's an interesting thing, too, though. The, the third new moon, it's the beginning of the third month. Now, they had the Passover, or they had that, the whole last uh, uh, plague on the 14th day, the first month. This is approximately... 40 or 50 days after Passover. 
what Jewish holiday happens 50 days after Passover? It's Pentecost. Now, we don't associate it, but it's Pentecost, which Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost, right? That's when Israel was renewed as a people of God in the church. And so it's interesting that 50 days or so after the great death of the, of, of the Lamb that, bought, that, that allowed them to get out of slavery, they have this moment on Mount Sinai where the covenant is, is made. And then we, and the Pentecost, is 50 days after that great sacrifice of Jesus when that's done. It's an amazing thing. And some Jewish people put that together, although Scripture never really does. But the important thing is they're finally here at Sinai, and this is the sign that God's with them. And Moses has this great assurance. Moses, in chapter 1, look back at chapter 19, beginning verse 2. They set out from Rephidim, came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, this is the first of seven trips up the mountain. Three of them happen in this chapter. And God basically does a Donald Trump here. I hate to say that because that derails so many people. He makes a deal. And I want you to see the deal he makes. The moves that he makes to make this deal with Israel. First of all, he says, I want you to know I'm the God who brought you here. I want you to take note of what I have already done for you. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, I want you to go down and make a deal with these people. Tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You know that I've already saved you from slavery. You know that salvation's already been provided. You know I've already done amazing things and lifted you up over the trouble. I want you to know before I ask anything of you, I've already saved you. You are not going to save yourself. Your obedience is not going to save you. I've already worked to do it. I want you to know already what came first. Now I want you to complete this line. We love God because He did something first. Whatever we do in response, we always know this. God acted first. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The work that was necessary to redeem you from your sin has already been done. He's not waiting until you say something to do it. He's already done it. He's made overtures already. He's initiated it already. God says, I want you to know I've already saved you. I'm the God who saved you already. Then move number two. Let's make the deal, right? Now, therefore, if you indeed will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession among all the peoples and all the earth, for all the earth is mine, but you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are speak to the people of Israel. I want you to engage in a covenant with me. I've already saved you, but I want to give you the stipulations, and I want to have a relationship with you, and God offers it to him. He doesn't make them do anything. He doesn't... He doesn't bend, twist their arm. He, doesn't, he says, I've already saved you, and now I want to give you the stipulations, and I want to make a covenant relationship with you. I don't know what God would have done had Israel said, no, thank you. I don't know what he would have done, but here what he says is, 
Before he ever gives the Ten Commandments, before he ever tells them anything about what he wants from them, he says, first of all, I've saved you, I've rescued you. Now what I want you to know is I want a relationship with you, and I want to invite you into this relationship. It's an invitation. It is not by force. And if you obey my voice, you'll be my special treasure and possession. And the third move is that Moses goes back down to the people. Moses came and called the elders of the people, set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Verse 8, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And then the Lord meets him in a thick cloud. And we're going to hear some words from God to the people. But the people agree. Moses takes it to him and says, yes, it sounds good to us. And I want you to know something about this. This is very similar to the covenant we make. God saves us. He does the act of saving before we ever obey Him at all. Before we ever have a response to make to Him, God's already done the saving. That event that saves our soul, church, was offered 2,000 years ago. It's ever-present. It's ever-right now. It's ever-relevant, but it was offered 2,000 years ago before you were born, before the trouble you caused would ever be created, right? He did something for you while you were still in sin and rebellion against Him. God worked to bring you back together. I want you to know that. Our response of obedience is after His saving. Obedience is motivated by the saving of God. Our obedience does not produce that salvation. Your response of obedience does not save you. God saves you. He's already worked for that. You still obey. You agree in covenant. You still have to, to meet those requirements, but it's after the work that he's done. Now, what I want you to know is this. The way God describes this relationship is three things. You'll see that he says, first of all, you are God's treasured possession. In this text, he says, I want you to know you're my special people. Now, I own the earth. Every person's mine. I made every person. They're my children in a very generic sense. But you, because of a choice, because you choose to respond to me, you are my special treasured people. How many of you have a treasured favorite child? The rest of you are lying. I mean, you're trying to be civil. You're trying to be all that, whatever. We all have favorite kids. We all do, right? I I can look right here at the Watsons. I know they've got a favorite kid. I've seen how they treat their kids. Have you watched them? Annie, the little special one, right? Okay, so you you got special kids. God says it's not about your work or your looks or your righteousness. It's not about that. If you agree to be in relationship with me, I treasure you. I have an intimate relationship with you, and I value you above my creation. I own them all. Every soul is mine, but I have favorites. And if you believe God doesn't have, if you don't believe God has favorites, I know he says he's not a, he doesn't treat anybody with special favor, but he's got some favorites. It's those who choose to respond to him and go into covenant with him voluntarily. You're God's treasured possession. That's what he tells them. But secondly, he says, you are a kingdom of priests. Now, while the Israelites had priests among them, the whole nation was a priest to the nations. 
There was a mediator. There was a one nation of people that God was going to use to teach the whole world what the nature of God was like. Through the behavior and the teaching of the Israelites, how they lived different than all the other nations. How on Saturdays they took the day off and rested in God. How they did circumcision, how they did these food laws. All this stuff was communicating to the world. There's a difference between this group of people and everybody. And these are God's special people. Now those things aren't still in effect. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they were ways that God used Israel to teach the nations what God was like. And then God's holy nation, they acted different. They behaved different. They had a different set of laws. They had a different set of behavior. And he says, this is what I'm expecting of you. This is what God wants and has asked of us. This is what the covenant means. Now, the New Testament is different, right? It's all different. Well, sort of. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 with me. This is the New Covenant. This is 1 Peter. So this is past that Old Testament. You pass Malachi, you come into Matthew, and you go all the way through the New Testament. And this is Peter, the, the, the one who's given the keys of the kingdom. And this is his book. And he says, you, not talking about Israel as far as the Old Testament, he's talking about the New Covenant people, us, the church. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're teaching the world about God. This world doesn't know what God thinks about a lot of things, but they should be able to look at us and find what God thinks about political issues, about lifestyle issues, about sexual purity. They should be able to look at us and through us learn what God's will about these things are. That's how the world knows. They don't care about the Bible necessarily, but when they look at us, they should see the Bible illustrated in our lives. Royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies or the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you weren't the people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. The next screen shows, and so therefore, he says, because these things are still true of you as the church, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, college group is learning first peter as we go every tuesday in three or four minute increments and i say i have them say every tuesday night i'm elect exiles we are elect exiles you know what that means we don't belong here but we belong somewhere we are elect exiles and peter says because we are what god called israel to be we still are the same mission that god had in the old testament he says live as sojourners and exiles and abstain from the passions of flesh which war against your souls keep your conduct among the gentiles or unbelievers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they'll see your good deeds and glorify god on the day he visits us this is what he's wanting through our behavior they learn about god and they learn about what god's truth is by watching us that's what god's deal with you is Oh, that's interesting. He's just simply saying, you know what he said about Exodus 19, about the Israelites? God hasn't changed one iota what his mission for his people are. There's some specifics that have changed, but the same God calls us to the same mission the Israelites were called to in Exodus 19. To be different, to be a kingdom of priests, and to be God's special chosen people. What does this mean practically in simple terms? First, 
We don't struggle with our sense of value and worth. This world may not like us. They may not choose us for a lot of things. They may not appreciate the way that we live. But God loves us, and he treasures us, and he's called us. And we responded, and we are God's favorites. Now, we don't go out there and tell the world, you're lost words. No, we don't do that. We could, but we won't. But we can say we're God's special people. That has some rights to it, and that has some responsibilities to it. But the truth is, you are God's prized possession. He calls you the apple of his eye in the Psalms. We are his special people. So I don't care what the world says. We shouldn't care what the world says or how people treat us. God treats us as a prized possession. Secondly, we have a sense of purpose. We have a very distinct job to do. A lot of people go, I don't know what I'm doing here. Can I tell you? You should know what you're doing here. Christians have no excuse for saying, I don't know why God put me here. You know why he put you here? To show the world what God thinks and how God is. In your life, you demonstrate to the world the wisdom of God. And when you speak and give them words about things, you speak using the words of God. Your job is to represent God to the world that we live in. And a third sense is this, a very clear sense of why we live as we do. If your kids keep saying, why do I have to do that? Give them an answer. Do you know why Do you know why sexual purity is such a big deal? You know why we tell our kids homosexuality? No, don't do that. That's not the kind of life you need to live. And sex before marriage and sex after marriage with anybody other than you. You know why we say all that? Diseases? No. No. Pregnancies? No. Because our God is a God of purity and holiness. And we are children of a holy God. And because we are we are pure. We stay in the boundaries set by God. Do you know why we don't tell lies and stretch the truth and deceive? Well, it makes people trust you more. No, I don't care about that. I mean, I'm sure that's true. But it's because the God who owns us is truth with a capital T. And if our God is truth and we are children of His, His special privileged people and his priests to the world and his holy nation, we honor truth too. And every word we speak, we care about being true. And do you know why you're faithful to your spouse? You know why you honor your covenant with your spouse? Well, it's a, sta a stable home for our kids. No, that's a side effect. You know why? Because our God is a covenant keeper. When he gives his word to someone and goes into covenant, he keeps his word and he expects his people to do the same. All these behaviors, when your kids talk to you about them, why do we live this way? Tell them the truth. We live this way because we serve a God who lives this way. And we can depend on him, and he knows, we know exactly what he'll do because he's declared it. And we'll do exactly the same as he does. Settles the big stuff, doesn't it? Your mission for this week and every week is to be God's treasured possession. Make him proud. It's to be a priest to the world, to be mediating before the world what God feels about stuff. And it's to be a holy nation, reflective of the nature of the God we serve. There's your job description for this week. Write that down. Put that on the list of to-dos. 
and it affects everything that you do. This is what God wants from us. So let's give it to Him. If there's anyone who's never become a child of God and you want to be part of His treasured possession, He still wants to make you part of it. He wants you to be the apple of His eye. He wants you to be a priest for Him in a holy nation. And He calls you to believe in His Son, be immersed in the waters of baptism like Heather was this morning, and to rise to take upon the mantle of these challenges. This is what we're called to. Let's deliver, church. And if you stand in need of any response this evening, make it known as we stand and sing to encourage you.